if you will. We're going to come back in and uh, again continue kind of looking at uh, what we've been looking at over the over the last months. And uh, again, I will say it is good to see everybody. I'm glad you're here. It's good to have the folks online and so forth and uh, the communication ability that way. We've been talking about five, Ephesians 5, verse 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And the issue here, uh, what we've been looking at over, actually this is lesson 16 in this issue about the big picture and really what Paul is getting at in this issue of be not filled with wine. And I looked at it this way on a very, on purpose, because the wine and the excess of the wine is something very specific. It's the wine of fornication, of the, it's the wine that it belongs to the vain religious system of the adversary, the satanic policy of evil. So the reference here isn't so much don't go out and get drunk. You shouldn't do that anyway. Common sense tells you that. I, I, I said that. I got an email. Not everybody has common sense there, brother. I go, yeah, you're right. So don't go do that, you know. But the thing is, is that's not what Paul's after. We're in the book of Ephesians. We're in advanced doctrine territory. We're not in Romans down on the, down on the, you know, in Romans 12, he tells you to be honest with all men. Why would he have to tell you that? Because sometimes you're not going to be. But who do you tell that to? You tell that to a young person, someone who's learning, someone who's growing. By the time you get to be an adult, nobody should say, hey, tell the truth. You should have already been instructed that. I remember the first time I got caught in a lie. Notice I said caught in a lie. <laughs> you know, I, oh man, I, I couldn't walk for, I couldn't sit for two weeks, you know, just why? Why? Because you don't lie. Tell the truth. That kind of an idea. In Ephesians, he doesn't say that. He's, we're in advanced doctrine. So the issues that are happening here is he begins in 518 uh, about being filled with the Spirit, being under the grip and control of the Spirit. And then, again, we looked at that. He talks about you. Look at verse 21. I, I just, Paul, and I should say Paul, but the Holy Spirit, he knows how to ding you when you need to be dunged. Ding, get you. Look at verse 21. Submitting yourselves, what? One to another. In the fear of God. Man, what a way to be thinking about one another. You know, after the first of the year, we're going to look at some of these one anothering passages because it's great instruction for you and I as members as we interact with one another in our relationships and so forth. But notice, Paul talks here about being filled with the Spirit, and he does it right after telling us not to be a part of Revelation 17, 5 over there, that vain mystery Babylon, the great mother of harlots and the abomination, not to be a part of that vain religious system. Don't get over there and get bogged down in religion. Get over here and be who you are and, and understand who you are and let that take over. Let that be what fills your thinking. Let that be what controls your, your, your life in whatever the relationship is. Marriage he deals with, family he deals with, working a job he deals with, and that working the job brings in the interaction with the world. Let the Holy Spirit, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let that grip you and move you. Don't get over here and think if I got my list of do's and don'ts that I'm good to go. Don't get over here and think that by doing something I'm going to gain something because you're not. You've already gotten it. That's what Ephesians 1 has just told us. You're blessed with all spirit. You've already got it all. You don't, you're not getting anything. Actually, if you try to do something to gain something, you know what you're getting? A headache and heartache and frustration because you never know when you've got, when you're done. And that's what religion does is it keeps you on the treadmill. And that issue of understanding of walking in the Spirit, living in who you are in the Spirit. Bringing your life under the control of the Word of God in every aspect of life. That's why he goes into those deals with you first, 19, 20, 21, deals with the marriage, the rest of the chapter, deals with the family, the first of six, deals with with in, in 6, 5 to 9 there, deals with the world interaction and the job. Because in verse 10, go to 6, 10, he says something. 
Finally, oh man, when Paul says finally, don't you get excited? He's going to go on now for two more chapters. In Philippians, he says, finally, my brother, and goes on for two more chapters. That's what it mean, finally means to a preacher. <laughs> finally, no, keep going, you know. I'm in my introduction right now, you know, we're 30 minutes in, oh, you know. Finally, my brethren, here's the conclusion. Here's the end, if you will. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Hey, guess what? There's a warfare coming. Here you are, you're growing, you're learning, you're excited, you got all this, and, you, and you're learning how to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and let the, your life be under the control of the word of God. And then the adversary sticks his nose up there and says, yeah, let's see that, and flicks you right in the ear. You ever get flicked in the ear you know, when you're little? Wham! And, and you go, oh, man, right? and then you spiral out of control. And he goes, yeah, that's what I thought. I got him. Bing! And off they go. And Paul says, you know, guys, we're learning this. We have an enemy. And there's a warfare that's taking place. And you know what? You need to understand that warfare. In verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You see, there's an enemy. It's a spiritual enemy. It's not flesh and blood. When you look around in our studies in Romans, eventually one day, maybe in a couple years, we'll get to Romans 12, and we're looking through there, and you begin to understand that your relationship and your interaction in Romans 12 with your enemy is you're to love them. You're to, if they thirst, give them a drink. If they hunger, feed them. You're to look at them as another lost soul on their way to hell and the lake of fire, and they need a savior. They're not your enemy. Who's your enemy? The spiritual wickedness. There's who the battle is. There's a, there's a war that's coming in your life. By the way, we've been looking that that war's been going on since Genesis 1-1, hasn't it? That's why we've been doing what we've been doing. One, two, exactly. We, there's this issue of rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness. If you come back to chapter 2 of Ephesians, he's already broached the subject with us. 2-1. And, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. When you get saved... Guess what? There's a spiritual transaction that takes place in your life. And God gives you his life. That's the transaction. I lost it. Verse 2. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of, of what? Disobedience. That's who you are. Over there in John, the Lord looks at Israel and he's talking to him, and he says, you've been condemned, John 3, 18, you've been condemned already. You're a sinner already. You don't have to prove you're a sinner. You are a sinner. Guess what? You're a child of disobedience. That's who you were. You know, little, I, I watch the little kids, and they, they learn how to manipulate mom and dad. You know how they do that? They run to grandma and grandpa. But they learn how to manipulate mom and dad. You know, they didn't have to go to class to do that. That kid's two years old, pulling the strings. Why? By what? He walked according to the course of this world. That's a nature thing. They're doing it already. Among whom, verse 3, also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, there it is, the children of wrath even as others. Notice the flow there. That lust and that desire, the, the flesh, it comes along and what begins to happen? Takes over. You were there. By the way, always read verse 4, the but God. <laughs> the but gods. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. How does the unsaved world think? Verse 2 and 3. I'm my own God. I'm it. 
I'm at the top of the chain. Hold on here. Look over at Isaiah 53. I was reading Isaiah 53 the other day. I was looking at some things for the Mark study. Isaiah 53 and verse number 6. Here's a great definition of sin. Isaiah 53, 6. Wonderful Bible definition of sin. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Isn't that interesting? What great definition of sin. We've turned everyone to his what? Own way. What are you doing, Ephesians 2, 2? You're under the course of the world. The system's got you. You're a child of disobedience. You're a child of wrath. Verse 3, how it flows. you got the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. See, your flesh has got some desires, and the desires are what is forcing the issue of the activity of your flesh. You've got, you've got this human wickedness that's in you, sin that's in you, that's pushing and pushing and pushing. And you know what man says? That's it. Let's push. I'm God. I'm my own God. I'm my own, my own authority. And God says, yeah, you're really operating, notice verse 2, according to, isn't that interesting, the course of the world. You're really according to the thing that drives the world system. It's a spiritual force that's working in the children of disobedience. He, ha he carries the title of the prince of the power of the air. Verse 2, that's the guy in charge. That's who we've been looking at. The, the course of the world. Look over with me at 1 John. I, this isn't on the overhead or anything. Just give you a definition here of the course of the world. 1 John 2, verse 15 and 16. 1 John 2, 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. All right? Here's the course of the world. Here's the world. Here's how the world works. Here's the system of the world. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Those three issues, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those three areas... Eve was tempted in them. Genesis 3, 6. The Lord Jesus Christ was tempted in them. In Matthew 4 and in Luke 4. When, they, when you read the verses that say he was tempted in all points common to man, and you hear some bozos say, yeah, but he didn't have to look at pornography, and he didn't have to look at the drink, and blah, 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 blah. They misunderstand what the all points are. Here's the all points. Every one of us in this room have been tempted in these three points. You know how I know? Ephesians 2.2 2 just told me I did. 2.3 says I do. Romans, uh, I'm sorry, Galatians 5, where Paul lists what the, lust of the, what the works of the flesh look like. Guess what? All three are in those, they're all, actually those are sub-issues of the major three categories. And you can lay them out there. And when you look at that and you come back into Ephesians 2 where we are and Ephesians 6 and the rulers of darkness and the course of the world, the thing that drives the world is a satanic policy of evil. The thing that's moving this. And the world is, is what drives and controls your flesh. Think about that. You turn on the TV. By the way, before TV, you know what they had? Newspapers. Ever see some of the old newspapers? Some of you may remember them. They, ha they had ads in them, advertisements for things that were not necessary. What you, you know, everybody gets all upset with the Budweiser commercial. You know they used to have Budweiser print ads? You don't believe me, do you? Eh, it, they did. Well, yeah, well, you saw it. Some of you saw it. But see, so don't, so you go, oh, well, they didn't, we didn't have TV back in the day. No, yeah, but you had other things. That did what? Fulfilled the lust of the flesh. You remember Prohibition? I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> uh, 
Now, you remember prohibition? What'd they cut out? Drinking, right? Can't drink. But what did man do? Well, yeah, well, let's have another one. Hey, you know, they figured out a way around it. You tell man he can't do something, what's he going to do? There's another way to skin the cat. Let's go skin the cat. Figure it out. Make some money at it. What drives that? What drives that motivation for the lost? That's what we're reading. The darkness is here. Come back over with me to Romans 1. We've got to remember this. When you look around the world today, when you look around our state, our city, your community, when he talks about the darkness of the world and children of disobedience and children of wrath and working, don't, by the way, in Ephesians 2, 2, don't miss that according to. I told you, I've told you for years, pay attention to every word in the verse, according to. This isn't just flying by the seat of their pants. This isn't just they're coming along saying, oh, I think, you know what I think today, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do this. No. Sin is a result of a long process of thought and intent and motivation, James says, of the heart. And your heart is desperately wicked and no one can know it except for the Word of God. Because it's the one that can divide that bad boy up between the intents and the thoughts of the heart and dissect it down. And it reads your meter. Every time you read that book, it's reading you and your intentions and your heart. And when it does that, it just lays you over. That's why sometimes we don't like to read. That's why sometimes we don't ever read. Because it lays you over. Look at Romans 1. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who? Now, what are they going to do? What is the unrighteousness and ungodliness in, connected to here in verse 18? You see, we get these fancy, we got to have big, fancy definitions for unrighteousness and ungodliness, and the verse is very clear. And what, what is their defining moment here? Who hold the truth and what? Unrighteousness. They don't believe the truth. See, unrighteousness and ungodliness isn't the wicked deed that everybody looks to. It's the fact that over here, they had some truth given to them, and they rejected it. They said, I don't want it. Look at verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Look, think about that. All mankind knows there's a God, and they know that they're going to face him in judgment. That's what verse 19 and 20 is all about. So what does man do? He drums up an imagination. He rejects God. And he says, I'm going to be, I'm going to do it my way, the Frank Sinatra way song. I'm going to do it my way. And the idea, imaginations, I mean, you think about that. <laughs> They're, by the way, they're vain in their imaginations, empty, worthless. Imaginations, they got ideas and dreams. I have a dream. And you know what happens? My dream gets adjusted about every 30 seconds. <laughs> okay, that didn't work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? Why? Because it's not what? It's not real. What's real? I mean, yesterday I imagined after the ball, after the men's fellowship to go home and have a nice big lunch and, a, and watch the ball game and have this and that and still lose 30, 40, 50 pounds, you know? It, no, it didn't work that way. I went down South Santan down there, got stuck down there, walked, look at some things and come back and, you know, the ball game's already a quarter in and I'm like, oh, hey, you know what? But why? What was real? See, my imagine, your imagination, empty, nothing there, vain. Verse 22, what's the result of that? Professing themselves to be wise. You see how they think they're what? Wise? I love that. Professors. You know, you talk to a professor, who do they, what do they think they are? Wise? But really, what are they? They become what? Fools. Isn't that interesting? You know, the old thing, I'll get the saying wrong, I know, but you'll know it, is uh, it's better to remain quiet then to open your mouth and prove that you're stupid. 
I, I, I messed it up, I think, but okay. Did I get it close? Okay, close. Stupid isn't the right word. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said the S word. My bad. Dear Lord, please forgive me. <laughs> Actually, it's not Lord. It's Linda. Forgive me, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> she'll get me. Yeah, because we don't use the S word in our, ha- in our family. But see, that's the thing. What did they do? They opened their mouths, and what did they do? They proved that they are what? Foolish. Foolish. Look down at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. You know who they don't like? They don't like God. They don't like the God of the Bible. Let's be specific. So what did they do? They, get, they, they come in here and they, they're fools. You know, what they, you know what a fool doesn't know? Where he's at. Where are these people? They're in darkness. They're in unrighteousness. And the darkness comes from the rejecting of God's word. And that's what causes the vanity, the emptiness in their thinking. Now, in Ephesians 6, verse 10, or uh, Ephesians 6, verse 12, the verse begins to describe, see, all that was introduction, by the way. <laughs> we got 25 minutes to do an hour and a half, okay? We'll, we'll be done eventually. Verse, verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against dark powers, against the rulers of, now watch, the darkness of this world. The darkness. There's some creatures in the spirit world who are promoting a thinking process that is in rebellion to the word of God. And the result of that thinking process produces darkness. Now, I read that instead of just talk about it because of where we've been talking about over the last weeks. The existence of the Word of God, Psalms 119.130, the Word is a lamp to my feet. The existence of the Word of God brings what? Light. Okay? In God, 1 John 1, in God there's what? Light. So if we remove God and God's word, where can we operate now? In darkness. Bob Jones Sr. one time said that you can tell the character of a man by what he does in the dark. I'm like, okay, I like that. So much so I remembered it. He also said the greatest ability is dependability. I'm like, well, I like that too. You know? What happens in the dark? Come over to Colossians 1. So if you take God out of the picture, you're going to turn the lights off. You're going to produce darkness. That's what the adversary is trying to do in your life. I told you Colossians, right? Don't throw anything at me. Go to 2 Corinthians 4. Well, you know what? We've done, we've done 2 Corinthians 4. They veil blind the minds of the lost how does he do it chapter 3 the veil of Moses of religion what does Satan do introduces that vain religious system takes what God's doing and just knocks it over Colossians 1 is where you need to be knocks it over one degree when he talks there about principalities and powers and the spiritual wickedness and high places and the rulers of the darkness there's some things to remember about that as we go through. And as we, again, I'm trying to wrap stuff up. Next week, we'll kind of wrap it all together. Thanksgiving, I hope. The first issue, Colossians 1, verse 16, that you and I need to remember about the heavenly places is that they are real. Colossians 1, 16. They're real and they're identifiable. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and what? Invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So the first thing you need to remember about the heavenly places, 
about the, 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 the structure out there is that they are real. They are identifiable. We can see them. We can identify them. They're real. Even when they relate to the invisible realm, the spirit realm, the universe is structured so that they are real. They're not a figment of imagination. They're not a figurative thing to try to teach some uh, remote or context lesson. By the way, if they're a parable, then the real deal is far better than what we're reading. Because <laughs> a parable is just a little thing over here, okay? So they are real. The next thing you have to remember about the heavenly places is what are they? They're organized. They're structured. And they're structured in a way, verse 16 says, that they were cre- all things were created by him and for him. And that's the third point. They belong to God. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he created this governmental structure, Amos 9, the stories in heaven, all of this structure out there, government, and that's what he's getting at. That's what a principality is. That's what a throne is. That's what power and might and every other. That's government. Because the issue from Genesis 1 down through the end of the book of the Revelation is whose throne sits and rules over the universe. And right now, spiritual wickedness in high places, rulers of the darkness are in control. They're running the show. They're the ones that are there. We battle against them. Why? Because we are going to take their place one day. And you know what? They don't like it. They don't like the Word of God when it says this is how it's going to be. So, you know, by the way, you know what the adversary does? Second uh, Corinthians 11, Paul talks about a guy, 2 Corinthians 10 and 11, about a man who comes and causes conflict and stirs up people right after Paul's been in there. Paul calls him a minister of righteousness belonging to the adversary. 2 Corinthians 11, 13, 14, and 15. So what is the Satan doing? He's using men to come over here and to teach doctrine that's just one tick off than what the Word of God says. And you know what it's doing? It's leading the body out of where they're supposed to be and the stuff they're not supposed to be involved in. And the guy doing it, Paul calls a minister of the adversary. And he'll get his just end in the end. And I look at that and I go, you know what? As a preacher and as a teacher, I want to be as close to right as I possibly can be. Because the last thing I want to be doing is sitting there going, I didn't know, I'm sorry, you know. Because ignorance is not going to get you out of it. Because what do I have? I got the book. For Colossians 1 what do we have? For by for him and by him. They but they have been, and this is the fourth issue, they've been usurped. A rebellion took place. Come back to Job 15. It's where we were, that's why we've been doing everything we've been doing, really, was to get to this week and next week. <laughs> but I like to lay in a lot of the lumber and the foundation for you. They've been usurped. The prince, the power of the air. Ephesians 2 2. The prince. Top ruler, the power, chief governmental aid enforcer of the air, the invisible realm. There's the adversary. Who is he? He's the prince, the power of the air. He's usurped that heavenly government. By the way, he usurped the earthly government in in, uh, Israel. He has Israel held captive. They can't get free of him. The Lord comes in and says, I'm here to free you. And they go, we don't want any Caesar. We don't know king but Caesar. We won't have him. We don't want him. Kill him, kill him, kill him. And the Lord says, okay, you get what you get now because here comes the wrath. Here it comes. Look at Job 15, 15. Behold, he putteth no trust in his saints. And again, the saints there aren't people. That's the angelic realm, the, the creatures in the heavens. Why? Why doesn't he put trust in them? Yea, the heavens are what? Not clean in his sight. There's been a rebellion. The rebellion, there's not, he's not talking about the stars and the moon and the sun and the planets. There's nothing wrong with the physical creation in that verse. 
He's talking about the creatures that he put in the creation to operate and to function, to, 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 to operate it for him. Remember, Colossians 1.16, thrones, dominions, powers, mights, invisible, visible, heaven, earth, for, by, for him and by him. You see, he created, we have this great thing about in Genesis 1-1, God created the heaven and the earth, and it was a perfect creation. And then in 1-2, we've got form and void and judgment happened, and everybody gets all, well, you know, God, God, created, God created perfect. The physical creation was perfect. It's the creatures in it that have rebelled. That tree out there didn't say, you know what? I ain't doing it, Lord. I ain't going to shed my leaves today. I'm going to hold on to them. Yeah, and that, that tree just sit there going, thank the Lord for the sun and the, and the water and the minerals in the ground. You know, he's praising. <laughs> anyway, I get off on that. There's been a rebellion. That's why the heavens aren't clean. There's been a rebellion there. Come over to Isaiah 14. Here it is. Isaiah 14. I know you can say, Rick, we've been through this. I know, but you need to be reminded. Because when you look around the world and you figure, try to figure out why is the world doing what it's doing, here's why. There's a spiritual wickedness behind the scene moving and pushing. And, and what it's promoting is the lust of the flesh and the desires of the flesh. Why do you think when you look at Washington, D.C. and everybody goes, oh, it's the swamp and oh, the corruption. But do you know that that corruption happens here on a local level? You're just not aware of it because you don't have 24-7 camera in their face. Why? Because man is man. Why? Because they're children of disobedience. They're children of wrath. Because they belong to the adversary's way of thinking. Oh, but man, he, she's going to go and win the world. No, she ain't. I was reading a guy one time. He, he, he served one term in the House of Representatives and quit because of the corruption and because it was polluting his values. And he's a little no-name guy out of the East Coast, and he got out. But he went with the mantra of, I'm, I'm going to change. And the one line in the article that I read about him, he said, there is no changing that place except to blow it up. I'm like, whoa, okay. That's from a guy that was in the middle of it. And he wasn't a believer. He was just had morals. He used to be a lady in Michigan, Grace Church there, Grace Believer. She was on the city council of the local city there. She subsequently, she's with the Lord now. She said the same thing. When the Islam Muslim community started moving into Michigan area, their Dearborn area, she says, we're in trouble. And there's no stopping it because they will pay the price we're asking. The corruption. Whoa. Why? Because man is man. Isaiah 14, here's where it comes from. Here's how it was all designed to operate. God created the creation to operate in a very specific manner. And he, it's created by him and for him. Remember, Proverbs 3, we went and looked. He's got the blueprint. He's got wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And when he, he began to... to develop and to create the universe and he organized it in such a manner so that it would carry out his will in the universe so it would come along and he would do and in Job 38 when he turns the light on and the sons of God sing and rejoice and the angels watch him create and they sing hallelujah and they sing oh what a savior or what a creator and they sing that that's done on purpose as they watch him lay the foundations, and as they watch him literally in a physical form put in the place, the place that was called wisdom on the blueprint. He created all things, all of it, but he created it for him. In Isaiah 14, 12, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weakenest the nation? Satan means adversary. Lucifer, by the way, means light bearer. 
Lucifer was created to take the light of God's truth and fill creation with it. His job was to lead, you go to Ezekiel 28 and you read his description. His job was to take creation and lead them in worship of God. That's why he's got the pipe organs and all of that musical instrument. And it's to worship. He was to lead lead the creation in honor and worship of God. And he had an intellectual ability. Remember last week we talked about how God wanted sons to run. He's the son of the morning. How he wanted adults. He had, he had intelligence to look and to say, last week we sang this, this week we're going to do this. And last week we did this, and this week we're going to do this. And then in three weeks, you know what, that worked, that didn't, let's do this and this. And he has the intelligence ability to do that how do you know that Rick because God wants adults running the show leading creation he doesn't want children he doesn't want robots he wants people create creatures I should say because we're talking about creatures but he wants people you and I who genuinely want to participate in what he's doing but yet what happened to Lucifer for thou hast said in thine heart. Uh-oh, we have a heart problem. By the way, that would tell you that the cherubim has a what? Has a heart. He has a thinking center. He has a center of the ability to think and to process. What does he say? I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my, notice that, throne. Isn't that interesting? Above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. You know what? God set him in a position, the cherub that covereth, to lead and to be. He was literally the top of the creation, of the creatures we're talking about. And yet he's the one that developed the rulers of darkness. He's the one that developed five times, I will. Whose will is he trying to execute here? God's or his own? His own. I'll help you out, okay? It's okay, guys. We've got ten minutes. Don't, don't slow down on me yet. All right? He, he's exalting his wisdom. He fell. Notice in verse 13, he has a throne. Why would he have a throne? Because what does God have? God has developed a system of hierarchy in the government, didn't he? He's got principalities, powers, mights, thrones, dominions, rule. He's got this. So what does Satan have? I got the same thing. I got the same thing as God has. I'm just better. Stars. I'm going to exalt my throne above the stars of God. He's talking about the angels. So what is he doing here? He's putting himself above all the angels. He's going to sit. I love that. I will sit also. Sit. Sit how? Not just sit down, but sit in authority. I'm going to sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Woo. We'll talk about that in just a second. He's going to take his place of authority. He doesn't have authority. God never gave him that authority. By the way, you know whose authority that? Look over at Job 1. Let's just see it. Don't talk about it. Job 1. Job 1. Job 1, verse 6. Here's the mountain of the congregation of the north that sits in the northern end of the second uh, heaven. Our universe out there, the deep space, we call it, it sits, by the way, this is a spiritual area, so don't go looking for it through your telescope. You won't see it. Yeah, I, had a, I knew a guy who did that. I'm looking for it. I'm like, you ain't going to see it, dude. It's spiritual. He's like, I don't care. I'm looking for it. I got the coordinates. I'm like, okay. You know what he found? The Milky Way and all the other good stuff, you know. Milky Way, that's a good bird. That's a good, anyway. Look at Job 1, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the who? The Lord. 
and Satan came also among them. You know how you know that the mountain of congregation sits in the second heaven, not the third? Because who's there? Satan. Satan's not allowed. He's been cast out of the mountain of God, Ezekiel says. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Satan has now taken over the earth. In Isaiah 14, he, you know where he's trying to take over? The heavens. That's where you and I are going. He's, he's, taken, he's already taken over the earth in Job 1 there. Who's on the earth? Israel. He's already gone and gotten Israel half center off bubble. Moved them over. What's he trying to do to you and I today? Just off a little bit. Go back to Isaiah 14. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Again, that Most High, the title, very important here. He doesn't say, I will be God. He says, I will be like the Most High. Genesis 14, you can just write that down, 14, verse 18 and 19, defines that title as possessor of heaven and earth. Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah, who does, what does he possess? All of it, heaven and earth. Why? Because he created it by him and for him. And the adversaries come along, and he's come in there, and he says, you know what? I want to be the ruling authority. I'm going to sit also in the mount of the congregation of the north. I'm going to exalt. I, I, I. The mount, mountain of the congregation of the north. Mountain in scripture means government. It's a way of identifying kingdoms. Congregation, that heavenly host of creatures that God uses to administer his affairs over the whole universe. And Satan has come along now and he says, you guys are going to give an account to me now. Like you did to God, you're going to do it to me now because I'm in charge. That's why when you go there to Psalms 82, we did it last week. I think I wrote it down for you. Verse 1, talking about the congregate. Uh, better go look at it. Doggone it. Psalms 82. Some of you probably thought last week I was nuts by looking at this, but there was a reason. Psalms 82.1, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the God. And I told you, that's not people. That's heavenly host. That's up there in the heavens. Verse 6, I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. There he is. He standeth. He judgeth. He's there. The gods in verse 1. Verse 1, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He's standing, he's judging the gods there, that's the angelic realm. So there's a gathering of his governmental authority in the mountain, the congregation of the north. They come to give an account of what, he's, what, he, what the will of God wanted. Here's what I want done. And they say, okay, here's what we did. And they come to do his will and to accomplish his purpose. They gather together. And that structure is real. It's organized. It was for him, but it's been usurped. And the usurper, Isaiah 14, was the adversary, was Lucifer. And when he came and usurped, he put into motion a course of the world, the verse calls it. And he caused rulers of darkness to be created. Go back over there to Isaiah 14. Again, I said this just a minute ago, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Notice he's a son. When God designed his creation, heaven and the earth, to be run by overseers, people who, creatures, people who are, who are to be sons, 
intelligent agents. Look over at Luke 3. Just kind of process this through, kind of where we were last time. Luke 3, verse 38. God created the angelic creation. There they are. They fall. What does God do in Genesis 1? That's okay. I got a guy. I, I know a guy. <laughs> I know a man. And he created Adam. Luke 2.38, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. When God created Adam, he created Adam with intelligence. He's 33 years, years old in his appearance, but he had intelligence. Did you get it? He had intelligence. <laughs> well, hey, that's the device for you. He had intelligence. God looks at him over there, Genesis 1, and says, let's go name the animals. How in the world does Adam know the difference between a horse and a cow? If he was just some kind of babbling backwater baby out of a cave and didn't know any better. He wouldn't know. But yet he had what? He had intelligence. He had an intelligent understanding. Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. Moses, God tells Moses, Israel is my son. Come over to Psalms chapter 2. And when God's purpose in the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah on the earth is carried out, who gets the kingdom? Israel. My son does. That intelligence. Look over at Psalms chapter 2. Boy, I just run through this quickly because of the promise of trying to be done by noon, which ain't going to happen. Chapter 2 of Psalms. Look at verse, well, verse 1, why do the heathen rage and why do the people imagine a vain thing? Boy, that's what we're, don't we see that today? Well, why is that? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. A direct reference to not only Calvary, but also to the stoning of Stephen in Acts 7. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in a sore pleasure, displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon the holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. That verse is fulfilled according to Paul in Acts 13 at the resurrection. But notice what he calls him. Thou art my son. Son, the Lord. So you've got Israel, my son. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You got let's step back. Adam, Son of God. Israel, Son of God. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. Here's the one who's going to fully complete and execute the Father's will in an intelligent understanding of what God want, the Father wants done. Manner. That's how God has designed his creation to work. He will state his will and then his will and then he will have the creatures, the agents go out and apply that will to the scene. You see that in Genesis 1 with Adam naming the animals. We saw it last time in 1 Kings 22 when when God looks around and says it's time for Ahab to die, what's his will? Ahab has to die. How are we going to do it, guys? And he lets the creatures, the creatures come and give him advice and, and have input on it. And then he says, that, that spirit says, hey, let's go put a lie down there. And he says, yes, that's the one we're going to do. By the way, look over at 2 Thessalonians 2. Very fascinating. That's what he does. So then the Lord turns and says, the word of the Lord is the lying, the lying spirits to be put in the prophets of the mouths. And that causes Ahab to go, do, go up to Gilead, uh, uh, Ramah Gilead, and be killed. But God allowed who to participate in that? The creatures. Why? Because they're sons. 2 Thessalonians 2 
verse number 10, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie. Now this is talking about the Antichrist and 70th week issues. But what did God, what, what happened? They didn't receive the truth of God's word, so what did God send them? He sent them a lie. And they believed it, a strong delusion. They believe it. Verse 12, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And folks, that's Romans 1.28, where they didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. That's where they're at. So what we see in 1 Kings 22, Ahab doesn't want the truth of God's word. So God sends him a lying spirit. He believed a lie. Now, if you begin to think about this and what's going on here, you know what God has said? Here's my will. Go back there to Ephesians. Ephesians 5. Here's my will. What did Paul tell us in Ephesians 5? i got to get back there. He says, hey, verse 17, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but what? Understanding what the will of the Lord is is here's my will I I would have all men be saved how's that going to happen how does your salvation happen did you do something no did you trust someone yes did you get water baptized did you pray the sinner's prayer did you walk the aisle? Did you do, did you do, 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 or did you trust someone? Now, you're my ambassadors. I want everybody to get saved. Go to it. What's the message? The message is simple, isn't it? Trust someone. So what do we do as ambassadors? Our, our goal is to get people to trust him. How do I get to that point? Well, I know I don't do all this. I just get them to there. But you know what? We have tracks to use. We now have the Internet to use. We have our own personal testimonies to use. We have swap meets to go to. We got door knocking to get. See, how to get the gospel in front of people isn't a set manner. First time in my neighborhood that I knocked on doors, 434 of them, I got no, I got no answers out of 434. Do you know why? Because I was wearing a white shirt, black pants, and a black tie. What did I look like? I didn't know any different. I, I'm just doing. You know, we're trying to get a Bible study started, a church going. Let's go. Knock on doors. Boom. That's what we always did, right? Problem is, is who did I look like? Somebody nobody wants to talk to. I learned that. You know what I did? The next time I went out in shorts and flip-flops and a tank top, you know what? Nobody answers doors either. I'm like, wait a second. got to wear some clothes. Come on. So I went out again in a polo shirt and a nice docker pair of pants, and I got about, about every one out of 15 or 20 would open the door because they didn't quite know. Now, but you know what, though? You can't even do that now because you got all these other going on. So guess what we have to do? We have to change our mode of what? Getting the gospel out now. You follow that? But who are we? We're adults. We can figure this out. Leaflet, life, the electronic man, whatever. You can figure this out. Greatest thing I think I ever heard over the years has been Marla and her garage sales. Everything's free. It's a garage sale. Everything's free. But you got to take a track. I'm like, that's a great idea. We did it here. We had people begging to give us money here. Jerry's over there going, go, take the money, take the money, take the money. <laughs> Take the money. And I'm saying, no, it's free. And, and we had a great time at it. Why? Because it's just what? A different mechanism to do what? You have to trust in Christ. Now, what got them saved? Doing all this or trusting? That's the idea. That's the point. You go back to Daniel. We're not going to go there because of time. You go back to Daniel 4. It is on the overhead, isn't it? Yeah, Daniel 4. 
And in verse 17, there's some watchers. And there's some, well, you better go look at it. I didn't, I know the time, but you need to see this. I really, folks, I could stand here for 45 minutes and tell you everything and never show you one verse. And that would do you a dishonor to go an hour and a few minutes extra and show you the verses. Daniel 4, uh, Daniel 4, 17. This, now what you have is you have Nebuchadnezzar and he's had a vision, and Daniel's going to come and give him the interpretation in verse 19 and following. But look at verse 17. This matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand of the word of the holy ones. So there's some creatures in the heavenly realm called watchers. Okay? There's some creatures called holy ones. Those holy ones, Paul calls the elect angels. There they are, same guys, okay? To the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of, have, of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. Boy, what an estimation of Nebuchadnezzar. He's the basest of men. But notice the decree. The decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones, something's going to happen here so that man knows that God is ruling in the kingdom of men, that God is involved. This is the inter verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. The decree of the watchers. But verse 24 also, verse 17 said about the decree of the watchers, but verse 24 said it's the decree of the who. You see that most high? What God do? He let the watchers have a say, liked it. Let's do that. Let's do verse 17. Turned down to Daniel and said, this is what I decree. Follow that? Verse 26. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee. After that thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. You have the decree, Nebuchadnezzar? It is the decree of Jehovah? It is the decree of the Most High. It is the decree that will be executed by the watchers and by the holy ones. And that decree that's going to be carried out now is so that you know who's really in charge. And so that man knows. But again, who, who came up with the idea? The creatures did. The sons do. And God turns over and says, you know what? I like that idea. So you have both God and the agents involved. That's how God designed creation. He created man, Romans 5. By the way, Ezekiel 28, that's just the description there of the adversary. In Romans 5, verse number 12, And by one man sin entered into the world, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. God created man. Sin entered. Sin entered the world of mankind because of Adam. Verse 15, 515. But not as the offense, so also is the what? The free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Verse 17. For by one man offense, by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Much more, they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one. You see the of one? 
of one. By one, all are sinners. By one, all are have the opportunity to be justified. You see that? It just took one, didn't it? Rebellion has a lasting effect. It has a lasting impact on all. As long as the Lord tarries, until the new heaven and the new earth, sin's going to have an impact. God created a universe, folks, visible, invisible. He's got angelic realm in it, angels. He's got man in it. He's got creatures, all with the capacity to function by faith in his will. He's declared his will. He's declaring what he's going to do. Your job, my job, is to come along and to say, you know what? I'm going to participate with him in it. He gave, think about this. I, I, I do. I stand in awe, and I'm a nobody. I'm the basest of men. <laughs> I'm just but a grasshopper when you, you, know, you think about those verses when he describes mankind. Here God is creating man, creating creation, a world, a universe. And he says, I don't want robots. I want a creation that's willingly, freely choosing to come and to participate with me in what I'm doing. But in order to give freedom, to put freedom on the table, there has to be a choice between good and evil. I think about this in the blueprint room as he's looking at this. So this is what's going to happen. I, I know it. Why? I'm God. <laughs> There's going to be a rebellion. I'm going to not stop it. I'm going to slow it down. And I'm going to give man a choice to willingly obey my word and what my will is and what my decree is or to go and to do something else. I want Because I want man to be a willing participant in all of this. But I'm not going to just let man run around, you know, with a, with a you know, a, I'm going to give him some intelligence. I'm going to give him some capacities. But I also know that man can make the wrong decision. By one man, sin entered into the world. So I'm going to have my guy, my man, come, the son of man, come, and do for man what man could never do. We call it the faith of the son of God. Do for man what man could never do for himself, and then I'm going to put him on the decision level. So what's Adam do? He goes after Eve. Woohoo! There she goes. Let's go. Boom, and falls, right? Sin entered in. Boom. Satan, got, Satan, the greatest preacher of all time, converted half his audience, and then that half went out and converted the rest of them. He comes in. God, you know, God doesn't bat an eye. He doesn't sit there and go, oh, no, what did, what did Adam do? He just says, that's fine. Because man did what? Man made a choice of his own will. Not a robot. He says, that's fine. Go for it. And he, we work down history. Then he comes to this dude on the road to Damascus called Saul of Tarsus and talks to him for a little bit. Interrupts what he's doing to do something else. And the, and the mediator between God and men went from being the nation of Israel and all of its function to the very man himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make this new message available to all. Not just the segregated few, but to all. And I'm going to put it upon all, unto all, and upon all them that believe. And you know what man did? That ain't right. That can't be true. Look at what does. And God says, that's okay. I kept that a secret then. <laughs> I hid that in me. No one knew that. Because what I want is I want, go back to Ephesians 5, I want humanity now. The agents that I'm going to use in my design for the earth and for the heavenly places, I want them 
to have a verse 15, to see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. I want them to understand what I'm doing and then come and willingly participate in what I'm doing in the age of grace. Now, he has this kind of conversation in my mind. Again, this is my imagination, okay? Before the foundation of the world. He's not worried about Lucifer or Satan or evil or sin. Why? Because his son's going to go die for that and take care of all that. He let it happen because he's got a will and a plan. And he doesn't want a creation of just robots and autocrats and all this stuff that comes along and you just do what you're told to do. He says, no, what I want is I want man, I want people who trust me, who believe my word on a day-by-day basis freely choosing to participate in the will of God in the details of their lives. And when they do that, and when they operate the way he created us to operate, and I want, to do, I want them to do that because then when that happens, then everything that I created out there will come to pass and it will be executed the way I wanted it to be executed. And then he says, the father looks over to the son and says, are you on board with that? And the son says, oh, yeah, can we get to that last part first? (laughs) And he looks at the Holy Spirit and he says, are you on board? And the Spirit says, when do I start writing? Let's go. And the father says, well, we got to do it by the plan. But the ultimate goal down there is that this creation, the heaven and the earth, the government, it's real, it's organized, it's for me and by me. It's going to be in the usurper's hand for only a little bit. We'll get over in Colossians 1 next time and we'll see that reconciliation program that he put in that causes you to participate in it, whether you like it or not. And it's there so that we can genuinely, willingly participate in what he's doing. Go and use our creative genius and execute his will. Apply it, his will, in our life. And when you value his will in your life above all the others, that's doing God's will in your life. That's walking in Christ. I had a dear lady call me, couple months ago, you know, about the issue of, I'm just not walking in Christ. And I got to talking to her. And you know why she wasn't? She's not in Paul's epistles. She's over in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because she listened to some guy that told her that's where she needed to be. Then she listens to me, and I'm telling her to be over here. And so she's what? Confused. Folks, you and I, our job isn't to rewrite the book, isn't to rewrite the rules, isn't to rewrite the... Our job is to come along to grasp it, to understand it, and to become a willing participant in it and to value what he's doing above everything else. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the patience of the folks for their willingness to be in the study and to listen and to think and to consider your word and the truth of it. In your name we pray, amen.